Hello and welcome to this Herbert Smith Freehills podcast on mediation in arbitration. My name is Craig Tevendale and I'm the head of the International Arbitration Group in London. In this podcast, we shall discuss the results of our snapshot survey on mediation and arbitration, conducted jointly with the London Chamber of Arbitration and Mediation, LCAM. We will also be talking about what these results tell us about the current take-up of mediation in international arbitration. So we will cover the timing of mediation, the value of disputes that are mediated, the caseload of mediators, settlement rates, potential barriers to mediation, and finally, the future of mediation in arbitration. Now I'm joined today by two colleagues, Chris Parker, a partner in our international arbitration group, and Rebecca Warder, who is a professional support lawyer in our group. Thank you, Craig, and hello, everyone. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Thanks, Craig, and hello, everyone. Thank you both. Now, Rebecca, could you please kick us off by talking a little about how the survey was done and what responses we received? Yes, absolutely. So the Herbert Smith Freehills and LCAM Mediation in Arbitration Survey closed in November 2020. So our survey took a snapshot approach and asked just four very simple questions about mediation and arbitration. We covered the stage at which these mediations happen, the claim values, the proportion of mediator caseload that they make up, and how often mediation and arbitration actually leads to a settlement. So I know we're going to be coming back to the survey results in more detail in a moment. We asked mediators to fill in the survey and we asked them to respond in relation to their mediations undertaken in 2019 and 2020. So, so Rebecca, then that the survey is mostly showing data from the pre-COVID period, but we've also captured 2020. So we'll include at least perhaps some trends of the impact of the pandemic from March 2020 on, although of course it's going to take some time to tease out the impact of COVID-19 on mediation patterns more generally. So what was the response rate like? Yes, the response rate was really actually very good. So we were delighted to see that over 50 mediators completed our online survey. And while the survey data input was all done anonymously, both Herbert Smith Freehills and LCAM were actually contacted by quite a number of leading mediators to say that they had filled in the survey. So we were delighted with the response to the survey and hugely grateful to all the mediators who took the time to give us that insight into their experience. Well, very much so, and thank you, Rebecca. Uh, so that gives us the background to the mediation and arbitration survey, uh, but let's now turn to the details in a little more detail. And Chris, I'm going to ask you to start us off, please, by dealing with the timing of mediation uh, during arbitration proceedings. Thanks, Craig. Well, well look, the first point we, we pick up here is one issue that's often discussed is whether you mediate before or after document production, disclosure, discovery, whatever you call it. And the first thing that's evident from the survey is that mediations and arbitrations are definitely reasonably common at least from our mediators at the pre-document production stage. And in fact, only 6% of the mediators who said they had experience of mediation in arbitration had not done a mediation before document production in 2019 or 2020. 
And I think that probably reflects a, a number of factors, but at least one of them is that if you want the other side to buy in to mediating the dispute, you generally don't want to leave it too late. Well, also because of the cost dimension, uh, because the earlier the mediation goes ahead, the more costs will be saved in the legal budget if it's successful. Uh, so there's a, a good incentive to mediate earlier in the case uh, and perhaps uh, a disincentive to start the process if it's left too late, uh, at least uh, for many parties. Yeah, I def definitely agree with that, Craig. But then on the other hand, we shouldn't overstate the effect because the survey also uh, shows us, unsurprisingly, that mediations and arbitration cases do still happen after document production. And just over a quarter of our mediators said they conducted at least one mediation after document production in an arbitration, but before the hearing. Interestingly, a much lower percentage, just under 6% of respondents said uh, they had experience with mediations taking place after the hearing. That's not really a surprise as post-hearing mediations aren't very common. I have done one myself. Uh, the advantage is, of course, that you've got all the arguments are out there, but the disadvantage, Craig, is that point on costs. Again, you've incurred a lot of costs by the time you get to that stage. No, quite right, Chris. The money's usually been spent by that stage, hasn't it? And the parties will often either prefer to settle themselves directly or otherwise just let matters run their course to the final award. Well, some interesting insights into timing there and a reminder of how important it is to consider the potential timing uh, of any mediation, uh, not only at the outset of the case, but also at regular intervals as the case progresses. And one should always be mindful of potential opportunities and when they may be well received by your counterpart. So the question of when uh, and indeed whether, of more fundamentally, the time is right to mediate is a key strategic decision and of course it will depend entirely on the facts, um, but always an important consideration is to ask whether you have enough information to enable you to assess the merits of your case uh, and to consider what would be an appropriate range for settlement. Yes, and you're going to want to be looking at the position when the dispute first arises, because at that point you might already have a pretty good understanding of what your dispute involves. And in fact, in our survey sample, we saw that 64% of the mediators who filled in the survey had mediated disputes and contracts which contained arbitration clauses, but the mediation was happening at the pre-commencement stage. So in those cases, the parties feel confident enough to actually go ahead and attempt mediation before they've even started their arbitration. And that, that may be, Rebecca, at least in some of those cases, because the contracts had tiered arbitration clauses calling for mediation before starting arbitration. And of course, the, the reasons to do that are, are strong. Um, you're looking, you then, then have the maximum cost savings. And of course, hopefully, particularly in ongoing relationships, the best opportunity to resolve the dispute before any damage is caused to those relationships. But it is, I think, important to keep in mind that's not the pre-arbitration stage is not always the best time, not always a good time to mediate. Um, and with arbitration as opposed to court litigation, there is a potential issue with tiered clauses and they could create a, a jurisdictional bar to if you if you do not mediate first. So it's, it's an important point to keep in mind. But, but why do I say it may not be the best time to mediate? 
Well, there's two main reasons there. The first point is if a claim is coming close to becoming time barred for any reason, then of course there's a real interest in the claimant side to making sure that they can start arbitration before limitation kicks in. But there's also a more pragmatic and commercial point, which is often it can just be too early to achieve a settlement at that stage of a dispute. The parties might be far too far apart and you don't know much about the other side's case and to be able to really start analysing the risks and, and costs of going through with the arbitration. Yeah, I would very much agree with that. I think sometimes as the case matures, you're going to find a better stage to go ahead with that mediation. And of course, it's not as if once the arbitration started, you're committed to going through all the way to the end, because after commencement, there's often also another good point where you might want to stop and look again at the potential for mediation, because you're going to have a much clearer understanding of the parties' respective positions once you've got the claimant's notice or request for arbitration and the respondent's response or answer to that request. So that might be a good point to look at the potential for mediation then. And another really critical time when you're going to want to at least think about taking a good look at the suitability for mediation is when all the submissions are concluded. So that's another important point in that decision-making process. Yes, and at that stage, uh, of course, all of the arguments are on the table and you can assess them in the round, although, of course, they will typically then develop a little further in the run-up to the hearing. But at least at that point, you can say that you can see the full, or at least a fuller picture, as full a picture as, uh, as is possible to discern at that moment. But again, in other cases, it might be tactically better to wait until the document production phase is over so that you've got the full picture of the universe of documents and how that impacts the party's positions. Uh, although, uh, as ever, there's a trade-off between being better informed and uh, saving the cost of being better informed. Uh, and that may be the case when it comes to heavy uh, document uh, production matters. Absolutely, Craig. And it may be one reason why um, in higher value cases, perhaps there's more incentive to wait until after document production because a party is hoping to find that smoking gun or, or perhaps is hoping to see, get a full picture of what things are and, and the cost of the document production is, is worth doing before the mediation given the values at stake. And of course, it could go the other way. If a high value case is also a document intensive case, then the cost of document production might be prohibitively high and perhaps uh, be a factor against a successful mediation if you let them be incurred. So again, a balancing exercise. But, but, but generally, in a high value case, you can see how there'd be more justification perhaps to wait before you mediate. Yeah, I agree, Chris, and thanks for that. Um, I think once we're talking about the impact of claim values in general, uh, let's move on to the related point on the profile of claims that are seen in mediation uh, of arbitration claims. Rebecca, is it fair to say that the survey indicates that high value arbitration matters are being resolved through mediation? Yes, I think that was a pretty striking outcome of the survey. So the majority of the mediators who we surveyed, who reported that they had at least some experience of mediating arbitration claims, said that they'd actually carried out mediations in cases worth over £10 million. And in fact, just under 18% of our mediators were reporting that they'd mediated at least one claim worth over £100 million in 2019 and 2020. So some pretty impressive figures there. But the mediators in our survey were most likely 
to have experienced claims worth between a million and 10 million, with around two thirds of those mediators saying that they'd seen arbitration cases in mediation that fell into that band. And that's interesting, Rebecca, and it certainly demonstrates what, what we've always believed is that mediation is worth considering for a broad range of claim values right up to the very high value claims. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, and as a as an arbitration group, it resonates with our experience at Herbert Smith Freehills, I would say, uh, in terms of the higher end of the bracket. And the, over the last five years, uh, our mediation in arbitration claims portfolio uh, has been valued at uh, over two and a half billion dollars. So, you know, that's uh, a, a good amount uh, in terms of the, the aggregate value of uh, arbitration matters that have uh, gone through uh, mediation uh, only on our books in recent times. It is certainly an impressive figure. Now, having said that, looking down at the other end of the value scale, one surprising outcome of the survey was that we did see that actually the mediators who spoke to us had much less experience of mediating smaller claims. And so we saw fewer than 15% of the mediators in our survey having experienced mediations of claims that were worth less than a million. And that's perhaps surprising because we know that there are claims of that value out there in arbitration. And you would expect that the proportion of costs which might be uh, in issue for claims uh, of that value and uh, the, the contrast between the claim size and the likely costs might well militate in favour of more mediation at that level. So anyway, let's come back to that when we look at potential barriers to mediation. But before we come to that, perhaps, uh, Chris, you could share your thoughts uh, on what the survey might tell us about mediator caseloads. Yeah, this is a really interesting point, Craig. And one thing we were keen to see if we get some form of insight into is how much arbitration were these mediators doing or how much, how many arbitrations were they mediating as opposed to court litigation? And the survey results showed that a quarter of the mediators had quite a number of mediations, which would have been or were arbitrations with around a third of their caseload made up of uh, mediations of arbitrations and around 10% um, told us the majority of their mediations were arbitration cases. But on the other hand, perhaps a slim majority of the whole sample had caseloads that were very litigation heavy. Um, and th those mediators told us that less than 10% of their caseload were made up of arbitration cases. Yeah, and it paints a picture, Chris, of quite significant differences between individual mediators in terms of the extent to which their mediation practice uh, arises from arbitrations. Does it tell us something about the type of work that they're doing, the level of experience they've got? What's driving that, do you think? Well, I think that's actually a very interesting question, Craig. And to me, I have to say, it seems likely that what we're really seeing is quite a complex picture, which is probably very sector driven. So it seems pretty likely that where you've got mediators who've got a lot of prior experience in sectors that are very arbitration heavy, like commodities, construction, shipping, that you're probably going to see those particular mediators getting a lot more appointments in arbitration related cases than equally good practitioners who have a personal background in general commercial litigation, 
So perhaps that may be the reason behind those figures. We didn't ask about it in the survey, but it does seem like perhaps the best educated guess explanation. And that's interesting, Rebecca. Uh, the, the other thing that taking a step back really from the variable caseload of particular mediators, we, we definitely see from the, this data that mediation is being used in arbitration and in quite a significant number of arbitrations, including high value cases, which is good news. But I think we may come back to this later, but there is still more of an appetite and perhaps more room for a greater use of mediation and international arbitration in particular. Well, quite. And look, before we talk about that, let's perhaps look at what could be, from a client perspective, uh, the most important finding in our study, and certainly a, a subject which clients are always keen to hear about when mediation is proposed, which is the average success rate for mediation of arbitration cases. How often do, does mediation result in a settlement when proposed? Uh, Rebecca, the numbers were quite high, I think. Yes, they really were. So the success rates that we had reported by the mediators in our survey really were pretty impressive. And it was very interesting to see those figures, actually, and given that it's actually very difficult to get any kind of data um, from other publications on the success rate specific to arbitration in mediation. So just under half of the mediators who responded to this survey said that they had actually settled at least 70% of their cases at the mediation across 2019 and 2020. And actually drilling down a little bit further, most of those mediators were actually telling us that they'd had a success rate in the 80% plus bracket, which is obviously excellent. Then more widely, another 17% of the mediators who had experience of mediating arbitrations told us they had a success rate in the 50 to 70% band. So again, still pretty good news. Now, some of the individual mediators were telling us that they had a lower success rate. And around a third of the mediators with experience of arbitration-related mediation said that more than half of their cases hadn't settled at the mediation. But I think it's really interesting data, Rebecca, and overall, I think it's fair to say that they're pretty spectacular results. Um, and as Craig says, an insight into what clients are classically going to be most interested in. I think when we think about this from a perspective of how, how much an our mediation costs, compared to the overall cost of resolving a dispute, the costs are very low. So these success figures like this really do provide real evidence of practical benefits of mediation and why it's incredibly important to at least think about it in every case, I would say, as to whether it, it could be a way to get that dispute resolved quickly and time efficiently. Mm. Well, that's true, Chris. And it perhaps reflects a growing interest in mediation, particularly amongst practitioners and clients involved in arbitration. Of course, that's to some extent anecdotal based on our own experience, but there are other data points for this. And look, you'll recall the Global Pound Conference series in 2018, an initiative in which Herbert Smith Freehills were closely involved from the outset as a, a global founding sponsor. And that was something which really underlined the level of interest in ADR. you recall that brought together 4,000 dispute resolution stakeholders across 24 countries. Uh, clients, arbitrators, mediators, lawyers, uh, the full range of participants. 
And, and the voting results from those events uh, strongly suggested that a majority of participants would welcome pre-disputes and pre-escalation processes, with 45% of them uh, expressing enthusiasm for combining ADR with litigation or arbitration. Uh, and that supported, again, by another data point, the survey results from the 2015 Queen Mary Arbitration Survey, uh, in which 60% of those responding said uh, they would be, there should be greater encouragement from council to settle arbitration cases, uh, including via mediation. Uh, and, uh, of course, it's especially interesting and important to listen to the users of arbitration and if they are calling out for more proactive advocacy for mediation, uh, then that's uh, perhaps something that uh, should be more and more prominently on the uh, on the agenda. Um, but before we think about how that could uh, be brought about, uh, let's consider some of the barriers to mediation and international arbitration. Uh, so, Chris, could you please um, kick us off on that topic? I'd love to, Craig, and I think this is a really fascinating question and a really important question for the reasons that you've just outlined. I think before we get into it, we should recognize that this isn't data-driven at the moment. It's based on conversations we've all had and conversations I've had with people and perception. Um, and it's, it's an interesting one for the future as to whether there is more that can be done to gather data on issues like this. But my perception certainly is that mediation is not used as much as it could be in international arbitration. So what could the barriers be? Well, People, I think, have certainly talked, this certainly been true in the past, is that the barriers posed by the fact that all the cases we do, or lots of the cases in international arbitration, are so international, with parties and council and key commercial people in different countries, so that a mediation to get together the logistics of it, to get people in the same place, busy diaries and travel time, has historically often been very difficult and expensive. Now, to some extent, that has fallen away in recent months, with um, the necessity of using virtual mediation, uh, which we'll come back to shortly, and may well be helped with this in the future. And I wonder then as well if there is also, amongst some participants in international arbitration, and maybe now a relative minority, but a lack of familiarity with mediation, um, perhaps a, a, a lack of trust and confidence in how it works. Yes, I agree. And I think those factors are definitely a big part of the picture. And I think that, again, based on my own personal experience, I think there can also be real resistance from parties and actually also from Arbitration Council because of perceptions around mediation downside. So you certainly do sometimes hear it suggested that if you enter into a mediation, that's going to result in somebody's client either paying more or taking away less than they would have done if they hadn't gone down that mediation road. And obviously nobody wants to be doing that. So that's a fairly powerful disincentive for people if that's a belief that they very firmly hold, even if that may not in fact be accurate. And there's also a perceived strategic disadvantage, which often gets raised where people are considering but very reluctant to enter mediation. And I think there is unfortunately a very real fear for some parties in council of appearing weak to the other side in proposing or agreeing to mediation. And there's a fear for some parties that by doing that, they may just be weakening themselves in the case as a whole. Well, I agree with that, Rebecca. And I think one reason that perhaps comes up is that relative lack of tribunal support and intervention to promote mediation. And of course, some tribunals are very proactive. 
but the majority, I would say, probably are not these days in terms of proactively suggesting to the parties, have you mediated? Do you want a mediation window in the procedural timetable? And just this is a point of comparison. If we look at the approach in the English courts, the rules um, do encourage parties to consider mediation at a variety of stages in the process, and the English courts will encourage the use of mediation in other ADR um, where appropriate. They have the power to make orders as to ADR, and they ultimately have the power to penalise a party in relation to costs if a party unreasonably refuses to mediate. So that sort of approach does uh, lead then to the idea and concept of mediation becoming much more ingrained as a possibility. Yes. And in the main part, Chris, we're some distance from that position in international arbitration. I think it would be fair to say, uh, without generalising too much, of course, uh, because there is a risk of generalising um, and there is some tribunal encouragement of mediation in arbitration, uh, and particularly so where there is a greater tradition of tribunals actively encouraging settlement. Um, and if, for example, we look uh, at civil law uh, jurisdictions such as Germany, we'll find that arbitrators do adopt a more interventionist approach in that way. And the, the DIS rules, the German Arbitration Institute rules, set out at Article 26 that the tribunal is required to attempt to settle the dispute at every stage of the arbitration, uh, unless a party objects. Uh, and under Article 27, the tribunal must discuss with the parties at the case management conference whether mediation or any other settlement method can be attempted. Uh, and moving away from a specific institution's rules uh, to another opt-in set of uh, procedural guidelines, uh, the Prague rules, which of course uh, have a uh, substantial civil law flavour to them, uh, also provide for arbitrator-facilitated mediation, which is set out in Article 9. So the tools are there and they are used in some arbitrations, but there's no question that in the broad uh, picture, we're not in the same territory as, uh, as litigants find themselves in terms of mediation in English court proceedings. And indeed, perhaps it isn't desirable or, or even possible to map across the English litigation approach, which is, of course, driven at least in part by a desire to discourage the parties from using scarce court uh, resources. That is not to uh, in any way downplay the very uh, compelling point that tribunals uh, could uh, also assist the parties by becoming more proactive in proposing mediation at different stages of disputes uh, where there is a compelling sense to do so. Um, so look, it's, uh, it's a matter of uh, choice. Uh, it's a matter of uh, preference as to how uh, clients and uh, practitioners feel uh, arbitrators should go to proactively drive the process. Um, but uh, in any case, let's perhaps look briefly at some of the ways the arbitral community could encourage greater take-up of mediation uh, in appropriate cases. Yes, well, I have to say that I agree that the arbitration procedure is really very relevant to that question. And if you've got a pro-mediation tribunal, then I think that is going to be a really important factor in encouraging parties to go ahead and mediate. 
And I think this is really circling back on something that Chris mentioned when we were talking about the potential barriers. Given that one of the perceived strategic disadvantages, which is so often quoted against mediating, is that fear of appearing weak. Well, if you can have mediation put forward as a neutral proposal, actually by the tribunal, then there's just not going to be any need for any party to be concerned about being the one who blinks first, as some people might put it. So I do really think that take up of mediation is likely to be a lot higher where you've got the tribunal really taking the lead. So, for example, the tribunal actually stepping forward and prompting parties to consider mediation at the first procedural order stage and also actually at appropriate stages after that. Absolutely, Rebecca. The other point I, I, I'd add is what I alluded to earlier, that the, the current move to virtual mediation also makes it much more accessible for parties and council based across different time zones and continents. It removes any potential issues about cost. It makes diary availability much easier. And while we didn't ask about virtual mediation in the survey, and it was too early, as I mentioned earlier, to track the full impact of the pandemic on mediation, several mediators did mention the significant upswing in virtual mediation in 2020. And I did one in the course of last year, and it was phenomenally effective and settled the case. So it, it can work just as well and definitely easier in terms of cost and logistics. Yes, and actually, that move to virtual mediation, if parties continue to buy into that for appropriate cases after the COVID-19 pandemic is over, then I think there really is a potential for mediation to keep that greater accessibility going forward into the future. And on a different note, there's also actually a lot that I think we as practitioners and also the mediators could potentially do to improve take up of mediation in arbitration more generally. So training, I think, is a really important part of that puzzle here. And I think it's really important that that includes mock mediations of arbitration cases, including high value disputes, because exposure to the way that mediation actually works in practice really has the potential to demystify the process and to dispel the fears that are out there around the perceived disadvantages of entering mediation and given the potential advantages of virtual mediation that we've all mentioned quite a few times in this podcast, I think it's really important that those training programmes specifically include exposure to that as well. Agreed, Rebecca. And I also just wanted to emphasise that it's important for training to be relevant to counsel working in-house. And that's because lawyers working in the business have a, a vitally important role to play in raising awareness in the business of the benefits of mediation and what's involved. Uh, and of course, also uh, in emphasising to external counsel that consideration of mediation can be front and centre in case strategy. Indeed, Craig. But then there is also a, a critical role for external counsel and there's much to be said for being mediation minded. We all know that not every case will be suitable for mediation, but it's given the excellent success rates we've seen in the survey and what we all know about mediation. Certainly, we would say that at least considering the possibility of mediation in arbitration cases is definitely something that people should be doing. And it's important to realise that's a moving feast as well, to, to keep it in mind as you would your settlement strategy may it will evolve throughout a case. Uh, as the commercial dynamics or as the issues in the case evolve and there's every reason that should also include revisiting any possibility of mediation. Yeah, no, very much so, Chris. 
Well, we've looked at um, some of the potential barriers to mediation and how those might be overcome. Let's move forward to look at the future of mediation and arbitration. Uh, and I'll invite uh, Chris, please, to uh, dig out the crystal ball and take a quick look at what the future may hold for mediation and arbitration, if you're willing to do so. Absolutely, Craig. Well, look, I think in the short term, perhaps the easy prediction is that mediation and arbitration is likely to be boosted. It's likely to continue to grow because of the pandemic. We would expect the pandemic will lead to or has led to already an upswing in the volume of disputes, which we could see, for example, in the 2020 caseloads of the leading arbitration institutions. And with all the other aspects we've spoken about, virtual mediations, increasing familiarity of mediation, I think it will increase. The use of mediation will increase in arbitration. Well, that makes perfect sense. And the pandemic might certainly have an impact on the proportion of arbitration cases that are mediated. Of course, uh, difficult to discern trends sometimes in these things when, you, when it's uh, so much is uh, kept behind closed doors. But um, certainly based on discussions with clients, there's very uh, active consideration given in, uh, in a broad spectrum of cases, not only in the largest cases to uh, achieving something which is always good news if it can be obtained, which is a speedy negotiated resolution uh, of a dispute and uh, the, and obtaining certainty uh, in the resolution. Yeah, and that, and that ties back, Craig, with a point you made at, at the start about costs. I think we all know that in the light of the pandemic, costs and resources generally are even more of a focus than they were before. So that's entirely consistent with that. And actually, just to come back onto another point and to continue to bang the drum on the virtual mediations topic, I think if we'd been recording this episode five years ago, we would have said that most people would always want to mediate in person, given the importance of trust in the mediation process. But now that the pandemic has really encouraged parties to actually move from in-person mediation to virtual, that we might well actually see that trend continuing longer term, at least to some extent, now that so many mediators, arbitration council and parties have gained real experience of and trust in that remote mediation process. I agree with that, Rebecca, and let's hope too that increased familiarity with mediation just encourages the trend, because I think it's certainly fair to say that we can't afford to be complacent as a community about the use of, of, uh, use of mediation and arbitration. Yeah, and um, look, I think as we've discussed, there's a role for everyone involved in the process, whether uh, parties, council, tribunals and mediators uh, to play uh, in order to ensure that mediation is better understood and, and applied uh, where appropriate in international arbitration, because there are uh, very significant time and cost savings that can be achieved by resolving an arbitration at an early stage, uh, if it's uh, to the satisfaction of the parties. And look, as we've seen from the high average settlement rates, which the survey discloses, mediation is, in crude terms, uh, a very effective tool to deploy uh, on the occasions when it is deployed. And uh, there's definitely scope for that to be uh, the case more frequently. Well, that draws our podcast today to uh, a halt. Uh, we very much hope that is a helpful overview of the results of the mediation in arbitration survey uh, and also of current trends in the mediation of arbitration cases. 
if you would like to discuss any of the issues raised uh, in more detail or to pass on any comments or feedback, then please do contact uh, Rebecca, Chris or myself or your usual Herbert Smith Freehills contact. Thank you.